Talking Twilight Zone. I'd also like to welcome my wonderful, wonderful co-hosts, Bobby, Robert, and Dave. <laughs> Yo, hello. Yo, <laughs> This was another Bobby request here. Philadelphia Freedom. Oh, that's, John. That, that's right. And welcome and to your new home, guys. Thank Congratulations. You. From leaving Seattle, the nice rain-filled Seattle. Now you're coming to the nice, snowy Philadelphia now. So, <laughs> congratulations. Well, I'm particularly excited to be doing this show today. I'm, we're back home. I'm back home, baby. We're back home. Bobby and I were finally able to see the horror and nightmare that is Seattle. Seattle, Washington. And we're now back to one exciting Philly Freedom at last, not to mention Boston, one better driver, and a bubble, much better weather. And the cheesesteaks. Mm. I heard you said you had good cheesesteak and pizza. Yes, cheesesteak and food. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I only came here to eat. That's the only reason I came That's here. That's it. We only came back so we could get some decent food, some good stuff. 
And so adding to this excitement is the fact that we're going to be discussing one of the most classic stone episodes ever to start. And, and now, here. The dummy. Really? Are we going to do that? Oh, okay. No, sorry, wrong one. <laughs> now, here is the incomparable Robert with the opening clip. And a little treat before the opening clip. Here we go. Russian ambassador is going to say a few words. Come on down, Mr. Ambassador. And now, Mr. Serling. It appears, that, it appears that one of the craft has landed just a few blocks away. One of their representatives is on his way to this building. Respectfully submitted for your perusal, a canimate. Height a little over nine feet. Weight in the neighborhood of 350 pounds. Origin unknown. Motives? Therein hangs the tale. For in just a moment, we're going to ask you to shake hands figuratively with a Christopher Columbus from another galaxy and another time. This is the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, and before we go on, I with a sad note, um, Larry Hagman, 81, passed away. And why Most that certainly is relevant did. to that is not only did he do Dallas, but he did also appear on an episode of Night Gallery, which aired about a month oh, ago, where he yeah. played a scientist or something like that. He had You're a right. beard and all that. So, yeah. All right. Yeah, he Rest passed away. Uh, actress Deborah Raffin passed away today or yesterday or today. And. Uh, boxer Macho Camacho passed away. Yeah, that's sad. Yeah, he was shot. But, you know, oh, well, they go in threes, right? They go in threes. Mm-hmm. So, well, this is a great episode. And as this episode opens, Michael Chambers is seen lying uncomfortably on a cot in what seems to be a somewhat cramped chamber-like room. And a voice over the loudspeaker instructs him to eat. Well, of course, he refuses. Then he asks what time it is on Earth. The voice tells him, and Chambers begins to tell the story of how he came to be here. 
of course, it's it's a kind of a voiceover thing, aboard a spaceship, you know, and he's in flashback. So he talks about the Kanemith, a race of nine-foot-tall aliens. They land on Earth. One of them addresses the United Nations, vowing that his uh, vowing that his racist motive in coming to Earth is solely to be helpful to humanity. Now, while they were initially worried and wary of the intentions of an alien race who came quite in uninvited, as one of them said, <clears throat> quite uninvited, even the skeptical international leaders began to be persuaded of the aliens' unconditional generosity when the Kanemites share their advanced technology quickly putting an end to many of the Earth's greatest problems, including hunger, energy crisis, and war. So the aliens, they even turned deserts into big, blooming fields. Oh, it's, this, is, this is just great. I mean, they're, they're doing everything that, uh, you know, you could even imagine. Uh, all the promises that they made are coming true. So trust in the Kanemids, it seems to be justified. When Patty, one of the staff of the U.S. government cryptographers, led by Mr. Chambers, cracks the title, of a candidate book that the spokesman left behind at the UN, UN, the United Nations. And its title, she reveals, is To Serve Man. And she says, well, I want to believe that. I hope it's true. So soon, the humans are volunteering for trips to the candidate's own planet, which is portrayed as a paradise. So with the Cold War ended, the cold, code-breaking staff, they have no real work to do. But Patty is still trying to work out the meaning of the text in To Serve Man. So the day arrives for Mr. Chambers' excursion to the Canada's planet. And just as he mounts the spaceship's stairs, Patty comes running into the boarding area, and she yells to him. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm eating some pumpkin pie. <laughs> Go ahead. And she yells <laughs> to him. Mr. Chambers, don't get on that ship. The rest of the book, To Serve Man... It's a cookbook! No! 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 enough, Mr. Chambers. Please, enjoy. Eat hearty. Please, Mr. Chambers, eat. We wouldn't want you to lose weight. you. You're still on Earth or on the ship with me? Well, it doesn't make very much difference because sooner or later, will all of us be on the menu? All of us. I love that line. That's a oh. classic line. <laughs> all of us be on the menu. All of us. Yeah, Chambers tried to get off the, the ship and the catamaran, you know, pushed him back on and then he's once again on board the ship and, uh, yeah, that, that's great. I mean, the way he does that, uh, he, he just 
you know, breaks through and talks to everybody. You know, and, and the episode closed as, uh, you know, he gives in and he breaks his hunger strike. You know, he tears at the food because, you know, he he's human. He can't take it anymore. He's got to eat. He's hungry. And Rod Sterling, he provides this darkly humorous coda in voiceover, noting man's devolution from dust to dessert and from ruler of a planet to an ingredient in someone's soup. <laughs> oh, God. Rod could really do it. Wow. Well, you know, to serve man starts out with something we only hear in a handful of episodes in the series, which is a main character addressing us in a voiceover. I mean, this is one of the best and most memorable episodes, and it's because it's a story that emphasizes the fact that you really can't judge a book, or in this case, a cannabis book, by its cover. For that matter, you can't trust those darn big-headed cannabis. They come to Earth and promise to turn our planet into a near-utopia. Then they gain our trust, they lure us in their space, into their spaceships with the promise of a better life on their planet. Well, you know, who can turn that down? So, you know, Michael Chambers, he's the aforementioned character. He leads this top-notch group of government co-crackers on a mission to decode the Kamets' alien language. And they want to know what their little black book is all about. Unfortunately, they weren't quick enough in their deciphering skills to save the masses of folks who had already boarded the ships. And the title is The Served Man. It sure sounded, you know, uh, great. It, it, it sounded innocent enough. It sounded kind and altruistic. But if only they had figured out the rest, such as the ingredients for uh, Earth Girl Souffle or Earth Man Primavera with a side of deep fried Earthling, <laughs> folks would have stayed home and locked their then doors. Do you think it would have been too much if they wore aprons when they came down? I don't know. That's you know, that true. might have just given it away with the chefs. Yeah, hey, they're big heads with the chefs. Uh, hats on them. Wouldn't that have been cool? Had the <laughs> same chef love the chef on the apron or Absolutely. Like yeah. Hell's yeah. Kitchen, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, this, this actually brings up my first issue with this episode. And I, I love it. I love this episode. It's classic to me. But Chambers, if anyone remembers this part of the episode, he compares translating the Kahneman book into English or translating the book, the Kahneman's book into English uh, to decoding Japanese messages in World War II. He compares the two, you know, translating their book and, and comparing it to decoding Jap messages. Well, the two situations are entirely different. The code breakers in World War II, they took a coded message, like uh, a meaningless uh, string of Japanese characters, and they reversed the coding process to produce a string of characters that would be meaningful to anyone who knew Japanese. Now, Chambers' problem is not that the Kahnemans coded their book, but nobody on Earth knows the Kahneman language. There is no way that they could take the book by itself and translate it. How can you translate or decipher a book in a language that you have never heard of and do not know? That is my Number one main problem and issue with this episode. Oh, I just uh, cut in there. They've done it with early Sumerian and languages from Egyptian that nobody's ever heard spoken. So you think it, luckily, it would have been possible? Well, well the, the thing is there, of course, it's the famous Rosetta Stone that had uh, the same message given in three different languages on the same tablet. Ah, oh, I see. And the way they were able to decrypt that was that 
they had three comparisons because it was basically a government announcement or whatever uh, written in the three languages that were in common use. Mm. And therefore, the, it was the identical message in each one. So they did it that way. But that was, nobody knew how it was supposed to actually sound because nobody had ever heard it. It's, right. No, it was never recorded. And also, those languages that you just mentioned are languages that are here on this planet, you know, like on, on Earth, that, that people may have, I, I don't know. It's well, like, yeah, you, you, you're quite right, because, I mean, you've got common symbols. I mean, when, when you can pick out pictures like, you know, an ibex or the sun right. or a tree, so you've got, you've got something to start with, I suppose. But with the cannabis, you're on a whole other planet, and you know nobody would have. <laughs> Robert translated Vulcan said bear for Emerald. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know you have a language that no one could possibly know or translate. I mean, it just seems very <clears throat> far fetched to me. And and the other minor, well, this this is just a very. Well, I wouldn't want Chambers to translate anything. You know, if he would have been in World War II try and translate Japanese, then the line would have been, well, we all would have been sushi. So. <laughs> That's true. So didn't have him. Yeah. That is very true. Well, you know, and I I also have one other very, very minor issue. This is this is so minor it doesn't even warrant mentioning, but I'm going to mention it anyway. Uh, it's uh, the TV station that was broadcasting their uh, the cannabis arrival at the United Nations building in New York has the call letters JDQE-TV. And, sorry, but TV stations in New York always have call letters that start with the letter W. Sorry, minor, very minor issue, but, you know, I think they should have picked up on that. They could have made up any kind of call letters, you know, but, you know. But anyway, now Lloyd Bachner, he plays Chambers, and he's got that wonderful voice. Lloyd Bachner has a fabulous voice, and um, he was perfect for this role, and especially for that voiceover and the ending. It was a great voice for that. And Seven Foot Tall... Seven foot tall, Richard Keel, and he's best known as the nasty old Jaws character from the James Bond movies. He plays that sweet and lovable candidate. Now, Susan Cummings, she plays uh, Chambers' colleague, Pat, who's just a day late and a dollar short with her deciphering of the intentions of the candidates, and she's unable to save all these people, including Chambers, from their unsavory fate. Now the other thing is, Jerry boy, he's Fulton. really in a stew, isn't he? Oh. He's in a he's in a pickle, <laughs> a, a stew and a pickle. <laughs> but Jerry Goldsmith, he provided the music scores for this episode. And um, in case anyone doesn't know, uh, the music scores for this were the same one used, same ones used in the Invaders. And I don't usually and back there also. Um, oh, yeah, was, back there. You're right. You're too. right. Yeah. I, I don't often notice the scores, but, you know, I've seen the Twilight Zone episodes so many times. After a while, some of the scores, they do become familiar, like uh, the fever and um, the the fever with the, the slot machines and Prime Mover. Again, in a casino, they used the same music. I well, guess the they music to... was very proper for Goldsmith right. because he goes on and he does Star Trek, the motion picture. Right. Um, soundtrack. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Sterling, uh, you know, that, well, I don't know if it's Sterling or who decides on the music, but they, they use a lot of the scores over and over again. And something else I noticed that the spaceship set that they're boarding at the end of the episodes are the same ones we see at the end of The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street. And a bit of research informed me that the flying saucer footage from the beginning of the episode is borrowed from the 51 movie 
the day the earth stood still. And the only other things I have to say is that the end, you know, Chambers, he, he tries to ignore and defy the cannabis. He throws his food on the floor. He talks back to them. He wants nothing to do with them until, you know, he finally has to eat something. So what's the point of, fight, of fighting back? He knows he can't get out. You know, he belongs to them now. I mean, there's nothing to do. He might as well eat until he's eaten, until he's eaten himself. Let me see. Is there anything else? Oh, yeah, my only other minor complaints or issues are, are fairly minor. Uh, the first condiment that we see has a very expressionless face, and that gives the impression that they can't really show emotion. I mean, remember Mr. Spock from Star Trek? He was incapable of showing emotions, such as happiness, sadness, laughter, or whatever. Uh, that's what this condiment seemed like. But at the end, when you see another Kahneman helping people board the spaceship, he's smiling and even showing teeth. So I don't I get I that. I got an explanation probably for you, Lynn. Probably because yeah. being accustomed to the Better Earth. Be a good one. <laughs> Pro, well, okay, you're talking about there was an episode on Star Trek um, about uh, seeds that could affect people on this planet. And when um, Spock went down, he was affected. There was an episode. I remember that. Yeah. And it showed his, his showed emotion. Okay. Yeah, he laughed mm-hmm. and he was in love with a woman. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. Surely, well, was that? Surely, oh, was it? thank you. Surely, yep. the one where the where the, where the flowers puffed out this yep. stuff into and, their faces. And, and Spock fell in love with this woman, and he was laughing and smiling, and showing emotions and love and everything. But but how does that how does that relate to the condiments? Well, when you are in a different country, you usually pick up the language, the tone, the way the people move like i had a friend in college that he went to britain for i think a year and he came back and he had a british accent so i I think it's the same thing with these aliens too since they are um, telepathic and can read people's minds and thoughts and they can relate that through thought and not speech that maybe that kind of meant was showing personalities of the humans, maybe being on Earth after a certain amount of time, uh, translated to that. So. Yeah, because uh-huh. I think they were, were trans, trans uh, what was it, uh, going into few, quite a few years. Like they kept saying every few years these ships came about. So I think we're going into quite a few years. So maybe you're right. What were you going to say, Dave? I was going to say, maybe just drop the facade once the girl had blurted out the truth. I mean, because they can hear and they understand English. Oh, yeah, yeah, they yeah. Answered the, he answered the questions to the, uh, the uh, you know, the lie detector. Uh, uh, so maybe he realized that, you know, he could, you know, the, the secret was out, as it were. So that was the last one they were going to get onto that spaceship. That's why the alien does his rocky stance at the end there after he puts <laughs> the door up there. It was a big change. It was a change to see him smiling. But um, maybe he was the black sheep of the bunch. I don't know. Perhaps but it was I a, demonic, have... a demonic grin. Yeah, the demonic cannabis. Yes, <laughs> the black sheep. But I only have one other issue. This is my last issue. And that has to do with a woman who was standing in line to board the ship. She's talking to people around her, saying that her sister wrote to her and said the Kahnemans have wonderful metallic clothing, and they take you on a tour of their shops when you arrive. Uh, how did her sister get in touch with her to tell her anything? You know, If her sister's there, I'd like to meet the postman who delivers the mail from other planets. I mean, come on. 
You know, I mean, I know no Twilight Zone stories perfectly. You're telling me that her sister was able to write back, unless they're delivering fake messages, who knows. But this episode concludes with a very classic scene. Michael Chambers, he breaks the fourth wall and actually looks directly at us while he speaks. A classic ending to a classic episode. And, of course, my rating is and always will be a classic five. So now with that, I will turn it over to you, Robert. Thank you, Lynn. And, yeah, I'm going to tell you right off, I give it a five because it is a classic. I mean, there's no way of getting around it. It's a wonderful episode. Oh, even with and, all the issues, you still have to give it yeah. a five. I mean, you know, the, every episode has issues, but it's still too good to not give it a five. I, I agree. And also this is, as I mentioned in past Twilight Zone episodes, that Twilight Zone is the root of all these type of sci-fi shows that you have out now, and especially the ones I played from Mars Attacks and um, V as well. I'm going to be bringing that up as well. It's the first one that I can remember that it does it all in flashback. I don't think there's another Twilight Zone episode that where it's just all flashback. It's not ongoing. It's a guy that's on a ship remembering leading up to the part where he got thrown on the ship to be taken to their planet. The old saying, careful what you wish for, might be too good, mm-hmm. does kind of apply for this one as well. One of the comments I made when I was reviewing this was, this should have been in color. Now, it, it's very odd that there are, I, I mean, this is during the black and white era, there were some special shows, movies that were done in color, but color was expensive at that time. That's why a lot of them were staying with black and white because it was cheap to do. Plus, the color sets were on the verge of coming out. They have been, been, they were created, they were known about, but color sets weren't used uh, until later on because if the Twilight Zone would have made it six year. Very much, I think that six year been in color because most getting ready to uh, make the switch, and um, because the color was starting to cost less, uh, especially right, the, the right, color yeah. TV, they starting to hit the marketplace. Um, of course, one show I bring up is Doctor Who, which is celebrating its 49th anniversary, and it started Woo! out black and white. Um, it started out. The first episode or first story um, was during the Kennedy assassination. And then as Dave uh, mentioned to me while we were off the air here that they aired it, uh, you said the next day after assassination. Is that correct, Dave? Yeah, I'm actually thinking now. I think it was actually the following week. Um, Mm -hmm. I I thought they showed it on the sun. I think think what happens is they moved it one day. No, they... It was certainly shown twice. It may well have been the following. I think what they did is the following week they showed the same episode again and the next episode. I'll look that up before I come on. Because they didn't they do a little tweaking when they reaired it from the original showing. Well, no, there were two pilot. The 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 first episode was was. Recut. They did. They, they had two goes at it. That's why it looks right. a very polished first episode. But taking it up to the run of the Third Doctor, where in 1970 they finally um, switched it over to color, 
but the point I'm making through all this is this should have been a color episode, and it, it's just too bad. I mean, you, you had a great story. Adding a little color to it would have made it an even better. What color do you well. think the animates were? Green, probably. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I was going to say with that. Silver, with silver metallic, which is... Um, oh, wouldn't that be cool? Yeah. The imagine the problem with this episode, Bobby, though, because uh, Bobby, uh, Robert, didn't they use quite a bit of stock footage in this one, didn't they? You know, with the the buildings and all that. Most of that would have been news footage. Most of that would have been black and white anyway. So you would have had a mismatch yeah. there. That could be true, um, because Lynn brought up um, the day the Earth stood still um, for the use of the spaceship, but the day the Earth stood still was in black and white too, wasn't it? I do remember. Ah, uh, yes, it was. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, it would have caused problems. With, like I said, still would have been would have been nice to do that. And it's amazing how the um, how we kind of give in to speeches from people. Aliens come and they reassure us that they can give us this and that. And and during the years going on, we've had speeches um, very similar to the one we get in this one. So what I did was I threw three of them together um, in about a minute apiece. One is the one from this episode. Another is from the um, 1980s V. And then the other one is from the um, 2009 uh, Reimagined V. And you notice when you hear these speeches, and they're not the whole speeches, they're part speeches, how similar they run to the original. So here we go. Ladies and gentlemen of the Earth, we greet you in peace and friendship. We come from a planet far beyond this galaxy, a planet far more developed than Earth, but we come as friends. Although we know your language, our own methods of communication are mental rather than verbal. Hence, the voice you hear me speaking with is totally mechanical. Our intentions are honorable. We desire, above all things, to help the people of Earth, to establish embassies here, and in the near future to set up reciprocal visits between Earth people and Canamans. I think that he's about to speak. I trust that you will forgive me, but our eyes are unaccustomed to this sort of brightness. His voice is strange. see a pair of dark glasses. He clearly isn't one of the Secretary General... Fascinating, though. We have come in peace. To all mankind. Peace. Our planet is the fourth in distance from the star you call Sirius, some 8.7 light years from Earth. Fantastic. This is the first time we have left our system, and you, the first intelligent life we've encountered. We're pleased to meet you. Our names would sound peculiar to you, so we, my fellow visitors, and I have chosen simple names from Earth. My name is John. The uh, Secretary General has referred to me as the Supreme Commander. Actually, I'm just sort of an admiral, responsible for this small fleet around your planet. This we have small sent other fleet? unmanned craft before right. us, and some of them have monitored your Earth for quite a while so that we could learn your language. But some of us are not as skilled as others, and I hope that you'll be patient. Don't be frightened. We need your Please accept our apologies. We're truly anguished by the turmoil our arrival has caused. This is a momentous day. Until now, we believed we were the only intelligent life in the universe. 
We're overjoyed to find that we're not alone. My name is Anna, and I am the leader of my people. We're delighted to meet you, but we need your help. We're far from home. Et nous avons besoin d'eau et de minéraux pour survivre. Ces éléments sont facilement disponibles et abondants sur la Terre. Et troca, nous sommes prêts à divulguer notre technologie avancée contre ces. La technologie est la plus After we've replenished ourselves and shared with you what we can, we will leave you, hopefully better than we found you. We look forward to getting to know our new friends. There will be more communication with your world leader in the hours to come. Until then, we are of peace. Always. <laughs> Yeah, you notice the connection between all three of those are deception. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, it's either we came to this planet, you are our first contact, or we have problems and we need help. So we come to ask for your help to help us. Right. Meanwhile, we will establish our ships around various points of the Earth or um, any help that we can give for security to work with your local police or army or to take over facilities um, to help us reach our common ground. So, mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. always the first sign of an invasion, when uh, you have someone give a speech and come out and say, well, we're, you know, we mean you no harm, where it's actually they do need, mean you harm, but they ain't going to lead on to that until you find out later on what their true purpose is, as we did with this episode where um, the doll Mr. Chambers couldn't figure it out and, you know, the person in him had to finally figure figure it out that the whole thing was a rouge and, and that the people were meant for the menu on Lachey on the um, kind of at the world. So very much the similarity with V, the miniseries as well. Um, come to find out they are a food source. So like I said, the root of this episode leads into a lot of the other um, Mars attacks, for example, into a lot of these other invasion-type movies that you have out today. And I thought, you know, the story hits all the right marks. Great job by uh, Ross Serling on the script writing. He visually had the whole story in his mind. And, um, of course, based on story by um, Damon Knight, the aliens were well thought out, and their use was not overburning. Burning, You don't use much budget when you use the same two costumes over and over again. Exactly. <laughs> Since they just redressed the aliens in different outfits. I mean, as I said, this is pretty much the um, prequel to future invasion stories like V that I just played, uh, the reimagined V, the 2009 one. But my favorite um, scene from V the miniseries, um, it might have been V the Final Battle, was the scene where Donovan, played by Mark Singer, is riding a horse, shooting his laser pistol at the Vader, the visitor's shuttle as the shuttle is shooting at him. I think if you guys ever see that, you should check that scene out because it is a pretty good scene. My last point I want to bring up before I move on is the lie detector test. First of all, since they are alien, how can you equate um, human um, values or human thought to um, 
say that the machine is um, lying or telling the truth. So I'll play that clip. Mm. These are the standard instruments used to determine the truth of a statement. Our first object, since the physiology of the cannabis is unknown to us, was to determine whether or not they react to these tests as human beings do. We will now repeat one of the many experiments made in an effort to uh, discover this fact. This instrument records the subject's heartbeat. This one shows the electrical conductivity of the skin in the palm of the hand, a measure of perspiration which increases under stress. This one shows the pattern and intensity of the electrical waves emanating from the subject's brain. Which of these is longer than the other? The gray. I shall repeat the question. Which of these is longer than the other? The black. How did you get to this planet? Walked. Once again, how did you get to this planet? In a spaceship. Many such experiments were made, and my colleagues and myself are satisfied that the mechanisms are effective. Now, I shall ask our distinguished guest to reply to the question put at the last session by several of the delegates. Namely, what is the motive of the Kenemet people in offering such great gifts to the people of the Earth? Now, I hope that the people of Earth will understand and believe when I tell you that our mission upon this planet is simply this, to bring to you the peace and plenty which we ourselves enjoy and which we have in the past brought to other races throughout the galaxy. When your world has no more hunger, no more war, no more needless suffering, that will be our reward. Oh, I'm convinced by that. Yeah, okay. You're more than welcome to um, put shields up around our communities and and go with our military and police and, you know, just, yeah, you're friendly. We can tell that. First of all, an alien has a different system biology-wise than we do. The lie detector set for human biology, not alien. And even yeah. if they did work on the alien, they weren't asking the right questions. I mean, are you going to, okay, um, are you going to be our main guest at the barbecue? <laughs> are we going to be your main guest at the barbecue? Yes. See, I don't think that's a question they would ask, but. Go ahead, Lynn. I'm sorry. Yeah, they what didn't. Gonna... They they could have asked more specific questions, and kind of ridiculous. But yeah, I mean, an alien having the same biological setup as humans? Uh, uh-uh. nope, doesn't I work. I mean, it's just, it's just like trying to hook the doctor from Doctor Who. He's got two hearts. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. not human. He's alien, even mm-hmm. though he may mm-hmm. look human. He's yeah. not gonna, you know. And also, his system of what's true and what's you know what's right or wrong is different than what our system is. It's the same with these aliens. Their version of right and wrong is different from our version of right and wrong. So it's, the it makes lies. the life useless. Yeah. The, the doctor lies anyway. Yeah, we know that. <laughs> he even says he lies. That's pretty good. He tells you out front. At least he's being honest with you. He lies. So. Hey, listen, as House had once said, House MD says, everybody lies. House yep. said that. Yep. Okay, to finish up, um, five out of five, as I said before, wonderful story, um, which kind of makes me sad about what the next episode brings, but still. <laughs> uh, 
it's it's nice to have something like this a uh, um, a diamond in the rough, so to say. So with that, I'll go ahead and pass it on okay. to Bobby. Well, just before you do, I want to just welcome some people here. I see uh, that I, man. Wow. Yes, we have a lot of people here. I want to welcome Felix. Oh yes, well you always love having Felix here and guest seven and Ed. Hello, hey. Ed. How's it going? <laughs> All right, glad to see you again. And Ron, of course, always wonderful to see Ron. And we have guest day. And, uh, oh, this is great. Yeah, I'm so happy to have such a, a oh, and guest five. And Linda, 444, and guest nine. My well, just goodness. Just how popular this episode is. Most for a lot of certainly, people yes. Okay, and let's turn this over now to Bobby. Thank you, Lynn, and thank you, Robert. Uh, this episode, obviously, is an all-time classic. It's been discussed, written about, talked about for years and years and years. And it obviously belongs this and Time Enough at Last and Eye of the Boulder are, without a doubt, the top three episodes of the entire series. There are other classic episodes, but I think these three stand alone, and it's interesting to note that all three of them feature surprise and unexpected endings, which, in my opinion, is what The Twilight Zone has always been all about. It is a classic, and over at IMDb, it gets into a rarefied atmosphere where almost a 1,000 people have uh, voted in their poll over there over the years, and it gets a 9.2 rating, and that is extremely unusual. You'd have to look far and wide at IMDb to find anything, even classic movies, uh, that get ratings above a 9. So it gets a 9.2. Uh, only six people have posted reviews, and they all, of course, loved it. Now, in the past uh, couple of weeks since we got here, I've been looking over the Internet, scouring the Internet, trying to find somebody who has something bad to say about it. Because no matter how good something is, there's always somebody, it's usually me, who has something bad to say about it or says, I don't think it's quite what it's cracked up to be. And I can't find anything. I've been unable to find anybody anywhere, either professional reviewers or amateurs or anybody, who doesn't like this episode. And that is a very, very rare event indeed. And it is certainly well-deserved. Uh, however, uh, people who know me know that I get kind of bored just throwing bouquets of things that are really good. I mean, mm-hmm. we can all accept the fact that it's great and that's it, but that's, you know, that's not all that fascinating to talk about. I always try to find something that's wrong with everything. I do that with everything. And, and Dave loves case, you for that, Bobby. We just yes, want you to know that. I know that. And so <laughs> in this episode also, I have a few issues. Now, let me just start out by saying that I don't think it deserves a 5. It probably deserves a 10 or a 15 or a 20. So it's completely off the charts. In our poll at our group, it gets the 5 ratings across the board. And none of that is a surprise. And I have absolutely no problem with it at all. I'm fascinated by it. I've looked at it at least three times in the past week. And uh, I never get tired of it. But when you look at it, there are a few problems that go beyond the business about whether they could translate uh, their language into ours or the lie detector test or anything like that. And the first thing comes uh, early in the episode, or actually at the beginning, when the academy goes to the UN. He goes in there, first of all, the idea that uh, a creature from another planet 
could walk into the UN without there being a huge and incredible panic is ridiculous. I mean, everybody sits there and they seem shocked, but they just sit there and say, stare at him. That seems unlikely. And the monsters are doing on Maple Street. The people on Maple Street went crazy just because they see a few lights in the sky. They didn't even see anybody and they were losing their minds. And that gives you some idea about what the reaction would be on Earth to any, anything looking like that would show up. So he comes to the UN and there is skepticism. You know, a lot of people just wonder whether any of this could possibly be true. But nobody, what my biggest problem with it is, first of all, that the Kahneman brings a book with him uh, that turns out to be a cookbook indeed. But why bring it at all? Why would you bring a book to another planet where you had such evil intentions, where you intend to eat the people there? What is the point of that? First of all, he brings the book and he sets it down. Nobody can understand what it says, and nobody, if I remember correctly, even asked what's in the book or asked them to translate it. I mean, that would be the first thing I would ask. I would immediately say, what's the book all about? What's in it? And what's it called? And if you left it there and you refused to tell me what it was in it, that would be it for me right there. I wouldn't trust anything you had to say because obviously you're covering something. But Probably an intelligent test, Bobby. That is probably why it was left there. So the people, the, the ambassadors of the U.N. are incredibly naive and downright stupid. Now, even if the Kahnemans <laughs> brought the book because they believe we're so stupid that we'll never figure it out in a million years, it still doesn't make any sense to bring it at all. It's just, it just, you know, it's a crazy thing to do. So I have a problem with that. It's not, it, it doesn't really harm the episode any, but when you look at it, you think to yourself, how could these people be so incredibly uh, uh, stupid to bring it. I don't think you do a thing like that. Um, now, you know, this story is, uh, is as, as Robert has already mentioned, based on a short story by Damon Knight. And I reposted on our board, I believe yesterday, uh, a link to a website where you can read the story. It's the same link I posted back in June when we did our original reviews. And uh, Lynn and I both read it, read it again today, and it's it's a good story. Uh, Lynn feels that the ending of it is, can't compare to the uh, to the Twilight Zone uh, adaptation by Rod Serling, even though it does indeed end the same way with the same words. It's a cookbook; it ends the same way. But I don't think it's really fair to compare it to the to the TV episode, simply because you get to do visuals on TV and in the movies, and you don't get to do that in a book. So there's something missing there. You don't get to see the reaction of Chambers when he finds out that he's about to be somebody's meal. So it kind of is lacking. But I would say to anybody who hasn't read it yet, it only costs 69 cents there, if you want to read it, to read the story. It basically is the same thing. Uh, also, it's interesting to note that Rod Serling in his adaptation changes the title of the story. The original title is How to Serve Man, Not to Serve Man. So I suspect that Serling, when he looked at it, thought to himself, well, you know, you're already almost giving it away. But if you write How to Serve Man, that it makes it too suspicious. And I wonder if he kept the title How to Serve Man, if we really would have caught on. What I really like about this episode, as I said in my review, is that it's different than other science fiction stories involving invasion of Earth. <laughs> Robert's already mentioned several of them. There have been countless stories, and usually invaders come with uh, bombs and laser beams and all kinds of things, and there's a battle royal to see if they can take over the Earth. This is much different than that. They come here to try to kill us with kindness. 
And uh, I have to say that I don't know. There must be somebody uh, around who figured it out before it was over. I did not. I was surprised at the end, as I think everybody is. And it seems strange to me that you would be surprised because if you think about it, to serve man is a suspicious title, but it just never quite, you never quite connects with that. So it is a very suspicious uh, uh, title that nobody gets. And I think the surprise at the end is what makes it different. That's why I like it. I mean, I like a lot of science fiction movies and, and stories involving Invasion of Earth, but this one is a lot different. It really is a lot like Maple Street because, as we find out at the end of Maple Street, the invaders, who really don't look nearly as grotesque as these do, they look quite normal, actually, uh, have decided that they're going to conquer the Earth just by letting us kill each other with our suspicions and our fear. In this case, they just come here promising all kinds of fancy stuff that they obviously don't intend to deliver. I also wonder about the end of it, and Lynn has already mentioned the part where somebody's mentioning about her relatives being on the, on the, on the cannabis planet, and uh, it's paradise there, so on and so on. Uh, exactly uh, uh, how have the cannabis done this? I mean, you go to their planet, you don't get eaten right away, apparently. Some people get to live there in paradise, while others get eaten right away. We never really find out what's going on about that. I think this episode should have been an hour episode. We'll soon be in that season where the hour episodes are. And I like almost, well, I like a few of them, but not too many. And this would have benefited, I think, by being in an hour-long story. It probably could have gone longer than that, because I'm really missing a lot of background here. I'd like to know why the Cadmets are coming here to eat us. Is it because they ran out of food? <laughs> How do they know we're going to be good to eat? Have they done it before? Have they kidnapped people in the past and brought them there and tested them and then decided they'd come back for more? <laughs> what exactly is the reason and what's going to happen here after the end of the story? So now that the word is out and she's already there, everybody's waiting in the lineup, lineup to get in the spaceship, and now she's announced it's a cookbook. Everybody hears that. Does everybody panic or what? Um, what happens then? Do the cannabis just take off with chambers and that's it? They don't come back? Uh, I really have to wonder about that. So there's a lot missing here that I would have liked to have uh, known which I think could have been fleshed out better in, a, in an hour-long story. However, saying that, I think one of the best things about this particular story is that it's on a fast track. It doesn't waste any time. You can't get bored. There's no time to get bored. It goes by so fast. It's hard to believe it's 25 minutes long. It seems like it's about 15 minutes long. So I have mixed emotions about that. Another thing I have mixed emotions about is this business has already been mentioned on the show tonight about this being – uh, kind of a flashback kind of episode where the, you know, the main character is narrating and comes on and tells the story because already we're suspicious. He's already there at the beginning, and we already have to think to ourselves, well, wait a minute, something must be wrong. This promise being made by the cannabis can't be real because he's already warned us at the beginning of the story that things aren't the way they seem. I think that detracts just a little bit from it, and I think it would have been even more shocking at the end and we simply started the story with the monster or the, the cabinet walking into the U.N. and followed it along. Then there wouldn't have been any suspicions that there's really something not right about this story. So those are some minor issues with the, with the story. But the thing about it is that that makes it better than ever. Because when you can have things that aren't quite right in the story and still be a classic, you've really got something going. 
Now, the other thing I want to get into for a while here is the business about why is this such a shocking episode. It's not shocking because an alien creatures come to Earth. We've seen that before. The real shock at the end is that they're not trying to conquer the Earth. They're going to eat us. That's the, that's the thing that's most shocking about it and the thing that stays with you. It's cannibalism, basically. And most civilized parts of the world are horrified by cannibalism, although it has been done. I'd like to point out that, that uh, in the early 70s, as recounted in a book and a movie called Alive, people did resort to cannibalism to eating each other, and that's when a, a rugby team from Paraguay uh, crashed in a plane in the Andes Mountains, and they were not rescued for a very, very long time. And once they ran out of food that they had on the plane, they had to resort to eating the dead bodies of the people of their friends who were on the plane. Quite shocking at the time and still quite shocking. It's a pretty good movie if you've never seen it. It's a fascinating story, and it makes you wonder what you would have done if you were in the same position, if you knew you were going to die, and the only answer was to eat human flesh, would you do it? And that was their story. They were absolutely going to die. People did survive, and they did get rescued. There are, of course, some primitive parts of the world where cannibalism is a way of life. But it really, I'm amused by the horror of human beings when they hear about cannibalism because we really do it all the time and we don't care about it at all. We eat animals. I'm not a vegetarian. I love eating animals. I love steaks and chops and things like that. But they are living creatures. They really are. And uh, though they're not as smart as we are, they do walk the earth and they and it is a terrible thing to do, actually, although we feed the world that way. Uh, back in 1972, on PBS, there was a famous documentary by a documentary filmmaker named Frederick Wiseman, who has made many documentary films. Uh, he's still alive. He was 42 then. He's 82 now, and he's still making documentaries. The documentary is called Meat, and it's in black and white, and it is done without a soundtrack, without any music, without any narration, and it simply takes place in a slaughterhouse and shows how meat is produced from the moment that cattle are taken there all the way through, and it's extremely graphic and quite horrible to look at. I, I saw it originally in 1972, and I was, like a lot of people, horrified by it. And uh, I haven't seen it in a long time since, and uh, over at IMDb, people who have seen it claim, I don't know if it's true or not, that they never ate meat again after they saw it. They became vegetarians. That didn't happen to me. Uh, but it is an awful thing to look at, and there's an interest, and I'd forgotten this until I went to IMDb today, and that is that uh, aside from the horror story of slaughtering pigs and cows and other animals to make a food source for us, it, the way they do it, they electrocute them, and they, I won't go into the specifics, it's too horrible to discuss, And uh, but what they do is in order to, not have a stampede of the animals, which are stupid enough to stand there and put up with this, but they might panic at some point. So what they have is what they call a Judas goat. That's what they call it. At the head of the, they, they take the cattle and they march them into the, the, the slaughtering pen, and they, this Judas goat leads them in uh, very calmly, and they don't stampede or anything, 
And then at the last minute after they're tra- trapped in there, the goat ducks out the side of the pen, and he gets saved because that's all he does. He just leads them to the slaughter, you know, lay them to the slaughter, and 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 he ducks out, and that's it. And that's exactly what the catamaran is doing. It's doing the same thing, coming here and acting like everything is just going to be fine, when in reality he's setting us up to be to be eaten. And I think that's the horrible part of the story because we've seen countless stories about invasion of Earth, which is terrible enough. But this is something different. Not only are they going to do that, but they're also going to eat us too. It is obviously a uh, a fabulous episode, and uh, like I said, the story is a good one, but the visuals make it make it different. And I would put it right up there with Time Enough for Last and Eye of the Beholder. And uh, I, I, aside from the problems I stated, I really don't have any problem with it at all. It is definitely a five, and it deserves all the praise that it gets. I never get tired of looking at it, and I never will. It's at the, it's right up there at the top of Twilight Zone episodes. All right, Lynn, that's it for me. Okay, and now we're going to turn this over to Dave. Yeah, all good points there, and it's lovely to hear Bobby having uh, uh, the free reign to express his enjoyment of why he watches Twilight Zone, and uh, all good points. Yeah, uh, I've just watched it uh, right again just before the show, and I've put a link in in the room where you can actually watch uh, the episode through still online, which is not always the case with some of them. Um we mentioned, uh, just to address a few things that have come up already, Yeah, the, the one that uh, Robert was asking me about, the Doctor Who one, yes, it, it, it was shown, but because of it being overshadowed by the events in America, it was shown the following week prior to the second episode going out. Uh, so that was dealing with that. And also somebody asked in text about the, uh, the, the voice of, um, of the aliens, and that was... Uh, Joseph uh, Ruskin, and again we put in text that um, he also played, uh, did the voice of the genie in uh, another episode of uh, the Twilight Zone. Yeah, thanks uh, for mentioning that, Dave, because I I had looked it up and I completely forgot. So thank you for mentioning that. Uh, two other series before I talk about this one. Uh, one, I'm, I'm surprised that uh, Robert didn't mention the Doctor Who episode, uh, the the two Doctors. I where, did it off air. Did, did you? All oh, right. Thanks for mentioning where, it. Yeah. Where, where we have an alien called Shockeye, who's uh, an androgam, who uh, who likes to cook every planet he goes to. He likes to cook all the he different really things. He really liked Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was wearing a kilt. He could see the the legs. He thought they they'll recognise you. How well marbled he was. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. And the other one, uh, I don't think. The the ending of this episode has been beaten, except one time for me. And if you haven't seen the film Soylent Green, I'm not going to play a clip, but I'm going to say something that will be a spoiler for Soylent Green. So take your headsets off for 10 seconds if you don't want to know. Soylent Green is made of humans. Soylent Green is people. Oh, people! Yeah, McDonald's. Yeah, you McDonald's it puts yeah. humans in their food. That's right. <laughs> Taco yeah. Bell does too. Yeah, yeah. they do. But um, going back to the episode, uh, yeah, I, I know. Have you? Do you guys be... know about the reptilian shapeshifters? Well, can you just hold that thought for a minute, and then uh, 
let me finish my bit, and I'm sure uh, Lynn will let you uh, have some time. Okay. Um, what I was going to say is that a couple of people have spotted mistakes. Uh, a couple of things that I spotted, uh, and uh, well, w one of course was the fact that she was so anxious to warn her friend that uh, she didn't seem to care about warning anybody else. She just wanted to warn him, which made me think that there was a perhaps a. a more than just the fact that it was another human being, because it was another just a human being, she would have warned everybody. Uh, she seemed particularly to want to help him. Therefore, you would have thought there was some sort of love interest. Therefore, you would have thought they would have planned to go on the spaceship together, both being scientists. Uh, but, of course, if they'd done that, she wouldn't have been able to give him the warning. So I suppose that was the plot issue with that one. The other thing is, uh, nobody seemed to question the fact that they had the set of scales outside the spaceship. Now, I'm assuming that's the same thing that they do in modern-day times now, that basically they're, they're trying to make sure that the spaceship isn't overloaded as such. But you would have thought in, they would have had a line in dialogue saying, uh, why are you weighing us, mister? And then he could have said something like, oh, well, we mustn't, you know, uh, we've only got so much fuel to get back to our planet, so we can only carry you know, a certain amount of passengers and luggage and so on. Well, you remember, Dave, is, Lost in Space later on brings the weight situation with Dr. Smith being aboard put the ship overweight, if you remember that. Ah, right, yeah. Uh, the other thing is you would have thought if they indeed wanted these to be food, they were getting an awful lot of uh, mutton and not so much lamb, weren't they? You would have thought they said um, it's an arduous journey to go to our planet, you know, in the confines of the spaceship. We can only take people aged under 30, i.e. prime cuts. I don't know whether that's been too cynical, but uh, there were one or two of those entering the spaceship, which were, you know, I don't think they'd be that tender to eat anyway. <laughs> but I suppose that's a, a, a cynical sort of thing to 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 mention. Uh just to Fresh mention young I think, blood. Yeah, Fresh young uh, blood. <laughs> just for those that came in late, by the way, this was series three, episode twenty five, uh second of March nineteen sixty two. And um well there was a couple of other things. Oh yeah, uh, in the beginning that was uh, two things I didn't like also about it. One uh uh, they said that we come from another galaxy. I don't like it when they come from another galaxy. It worked once in Star Trek, where, and it worked once in uh, Blake 7, where the actual storyline was the fact that our own galaxy was under threat from another galaxy, so alien races got together to fight them. But, you know, I mean, there are 150 million, million stars or something in our galaxy. The fact that they had to fly through from another galaxy, just to find someone where they have tender meat, it does seem a bit far-fetched. Why don't you just say we come from the far side of the galaxy or something? That always does seem strange to me. And um, one last thing that uh, struck me, uh, they made a great point of that these were nine feet tall, these creatures. But when we have the final scene in the spaceship and the alien comes in when he throws his food about, he actually stands next to him, and he's only about seven foot tall there. In actual fact, basically the actor's uh, original height. Uh, they, didn't, they didn't make the attempt to make him nine foot like he was in the original meeting. Again, don't know why they did that. Maybe because when they did that, uh, they, couldn't, you know, they couldn't frame the shot right, or maybe it went 
you know, it went above the the set height or something. But uh, it was definitely he was definitely only about seven foot against him in that. But well, Dave, those old, Dave hmm? in the very beginning. When he walks into the United Nations room, did you see like everyone looking up at him like he was this gigantic yeah, person? Yeah. But when you think about it, like basketball players are six eight to seven foot tall, you know. But they were looking up like he was nine, ten feet tall. But well, he really wasn't says, that yeah. tall. It says in the text in the in the beginning intro. Uh, it, it said in the text, Rod Sterling said, uh, over nine foot tall. But if you look at that second one, uh, they're not. Even actually, if you look at the photograph on the wiki page, and I'll I'll put the wiki page link in, they show the girl running up to the spaceship to uh, tell him, to warn him. Uh, and I'm assuming she's only five foot four or five foot three or right, five right. foot six. Yeah. And the guy, the guy's only about, a foot taller than her, yeah. maybe 18 inches. Yeah, I, it was nowhere near what they said it was. He was not nine feet tall. Well, he was in one shot. The point, what I'm trying to make, is that they weren't consistent about it. Right. No, the, when he first walked in, they were all looking up at him like he was a giant. But yeah. then after <laughs> that, he was not, they were not. And I did like it, honestly, but there, there was one other thing that I noticed I'd just written down. Um, when right at the beginning, when he's in the spaceship, he asks the alien, "What time is it on Earth?" And he says, "12 noon." Well, I don't know about you, but my Earth has 24 different hour zones on it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Eastern <laughs> time, noon where? time. Yeah, yeah, British. Yeah, yeah he, exactly. He was being smart, Ellie, too, by saying there's no time and space. Neither before that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He asked, "What yeah. time is it?" Mm-hmm. What time is it on Earth? Well, the answer on Earth is it's every yeah. every time of the day on Earth. But uh, the, the, these are, um, you know, I can I can pick out these things and yet still enjoy it. Uh, and it is one of the iconic uh, episodes. There's no doubt about it. As I said, it wasn't until something like Soylent Green that I heard such a great, you know, ending. Well, not ending line, but a denouement, or whatever the correct word is of the the story so did enjoy it sorry i've spoken for too long and uh uh oh i I see the person who wanted to speak gone off uh i was just just asking them to be polite and wait until i'd finished but no that's okay because he was giving a lot of background feedback in the background anyway so that's okay and he was going to conspiracy theory there so (laughs) you want to hear conspiracy theory if, if somebody wants to talk badly enough, they'll they'll stick around and wait. Uh, so yeah, so Dave, what's your rating? Oh well, may, maybe four and three quarters if you want me to be pernickety. <laughs> you gotta leave that little quarter out. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna make it a five. That's like, no, that's okay. <laughs> It's like dancing with the stars, you know. They had one little stumble <laughs> at the far end. Well, great. Well, this this has been terrific. I mean, we, um, you know, we we pretty much have uh, uh, unanimous across the board of a, almost a five <laughs> five rating across the board, and we had a lot of people in here tonight, a full house. And uh, once again, I do want to thank. Oh yeah, and Felix. Felix gives it a solid five. Thank you, Felix. Always great to have you here. 
And guest seven is here, and thank you. And Am I Human came in at the last uh, few minutes, but it's nice to have you. And Ed, oh, I'm so sorry Ed had to leave. He had to leave, but uh, hopefully he'll be able to stick around for the next show. And Linda, I'm glad you stuck around. And uh, Bear Fan Run, always wonderful to have you here. Guest five and guest eight. Thank you all for sticking around, and we had a great oh. show, and I'm glad to have such a full house tonight. Can I just help me out one bit? I, I'm prepared to put my rating up to a five if you oh. can give me a nice if, if you can give me a nice Chianti and some father beans. Ah, oh, nice Chianti and some father beans. Yes. <laughs> mm. Yes. Yes. A nice Chianti and some father beans. You look very famishing, Grace. <laughs> I can't do the tongue thing, though. <laughs> I don't know if that goes very well in here. <laughs> now, I'm Robert, I have to... a liver for you, Now, Robert, I have to depend on you to tell me when the next show and the next what the next episode is because I completely lost track of what our next show and next episode is. Uh, so help me out here, baby. Do that. It's the future. Well, <laughs> it's in December. <laughs> I determined that much out here. So it's December the 8th is the next December year. the 8th. And what is our next episode? Oh, do we really want to? Well, not really, but I guess we have to. <laughs> I believe it's the fugitive, but I don't I... think David Jansen is in this one. I... Yeah, well, I I got news for you. Over at IMDb, one of the posters over there uh, for to, to serve man, at the end of his review says, "This is my favorite episode of the series. My second favorite episode of the series comes up next: The Fugitive." Aye. <laughs> um, oh my God! How can you go from the to serve man to the fugitive and put them in the, even the same? Oh, well, I don't, uh, you think yeah. about it, we are dealing alien again, so I guess that's You know be... what? As Ricky Ricardo once said in I Love Lucy, ay, 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 ay. <laughs> you know, I mean, come on. <laughs> oh, good Lord. Uh, Linda, Linda, what does Linda say? We know the sci-fi stories come from somewhere. Partridge, you are absolutely right, Linda. They do. And thank you, Linda, without a Y. And if you get that hint where um, I come up with that line from, <laughs> you'll know what I mean, Linda. <laughs> Does he lose his tail? <laughs> yes, seven. And old Ben is next. You're right, Felix. But come on, Felix. Oh, Ben. I mean, no, that's why I have nothing against old Ben. I mean, he's cute and everything. Cute old man, like a cool grandfatherly thing. But come on, the story, really. <clears throat> Well, whatever. Well, that could be the gift. could be worse than that, but, you know. Well, yeah, it could be worse than that. Or the dummy, the which or we just stuff. did, which I am surprised by that. I am so surprised by <laughs> what we gave it and what other people gave the dummy so far. It's yeah, well, weird. yeah, Kelly, Kelly's always, like, way off from our, our – our, she usually does not agree with most of our ratings. She likes – the worst episodes and hates the best episodes. That's the way it's been from beginning. Um, and um, well, Son liked it. Son gave a great review and he liked it. Um, 
So did Helen. So did Helen. She gave it a three. Oh, and Helen, of course, yeah, yeah. But but Son, I have to say one thing about Son. He, you know, whether he agrees with us or doesn't agree with us, his reviews are always really fantastic. They are awesome. They they should be reviews that should be professional reviews. He should be well, in the he, newspaper or something. He should. I mean, he does a real good review. I was looking over some of these episodes we've done in the past and remembered the episode after It's a Good Life was Deadheads Revisited, yes. which wasn't yes. that too bad. But yes. then when we reviewed two, we had the arrival after that. <clears throat> so Yes. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's weird. You get the, the great episode and then one bad one, then a good one, then a bad one. Or one good one and four bad ones. <laughs> no, you can't win. But I will say, uh, Son's reviews are always worth reading. Uh, whether you agree oh, with him, excellent. you don't agree with them. He is absolutely fantastic. I mean, yeah. this guy should be a professional reviewer. He should review movies. He should review books. He's absolutely, you know, like he took, he gave it a four for excellent. But you know what? I enjoyed reading that review, but I didn't care that he gave it a four for excellent because his review was just absolutely terrific. So anyway, um, we are well, going to be back. We got the seventh doctor. Thank you. I think that's yeah. Jeff, isn't it, Dave? Seventh doctor. Oh, it's just come in. Hi, Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Hey, Jeff. Who? Who's here? Seventh doctor. It's, Je- it's, uh, it's Jeff, the seventh doctor, one of the cult and collective guys. Um, he may have got his time zones wrong with the uh, because Arizona it doesn't change. So uh, uh, it started at uh, six, of course. And we got somebody, Lisa, who wants to talk. And we got the doctor, Lisa. Uh, oh, here's seventh doctor. Okay, let's see. Oh, he's Hi, seventh doctor. Hey, Jeff. Jeff. Hi, Dave. Hi. Hey, Jeff. Sorry, I couldn't make it earlier. Uh, I didn't get my time zones mixed up or anything like that. Are you still stuck on 12 noon there? Just was checking. You know, 12 noon, 12 yeah. Noon everywhere. <laughs> Somewhere on the world, it's 12 noon. So That's okay. okay. Have you seen this episode? Oh, many times, many oh, times. Oh, do you want to say something about it? Oh, I, I just think this is, you know, just one of those classic Twilight Zone episodes that, if there's a marathon going on, it has to be shown. Oh yeah! Uh, just just a wonderful episode, and just just a great twist at the end. You know, every every good Twilight Zone episode has to have that just that wonderful turnabout at right at the end of the episode, and this one has that. Just love it. Oh well, that's great. So you would give it a five rating, like classic five rating. Oh yeah, definitely. Oh cool. Oh, uh, Lisa, I'm sorry. Um, Robert, what should we tell Lisa as far as talking? Um, well, she can go into the um, talk shoe live, the shoe phone, and try to come in that way. Yeah, it depends on whether she's in the pro. If she's in the pro, hit the right. uh, the shoe phone at the bottom. If not, the the call. If you can, if you've got free international calls, it's seven two four 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 seven four four four. Seven two four 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 seven four four four. Yeah, I call and in through the VIOP, which is the six six point two one two point one. Uh, yeah, that's four. using SIP. Yeah, yeah. But you, if you've got a cell phone and you have free long distance or 
perhaps you can call for up to an hour uh, for free, or perhaps you've got some spare minutes on your dialing plan. It's a U.S. number, of course. Also, I want to remind people out there, too, that if you want to check the adventures of Bobby and Lynn, you can uh, check out the latest episode before this one in the archives where they talk about their train ride, their move, and all that. (laughs) 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 Yes, riveting, riveting conversation. (laughs) Hey, I add music in there to break up the monotony. Nah, it's really cool. They'll enjoy that. Cool, man. You know, if if you want to know about a about taking the train across the country and why you shouldn't, <laughs> uh, just go in there and listen to us. Oh wait, what do we have here? Um, oh well, Lisa, if you go in, um, she got Skype out. If you've got credit on Skype, you can use that same telephone number. Yeah, we'll give you a couple, a couple more minutes, and then if you can't get in, then we'll absolutely hope that you will come back in two weeks to see us again here. We're here every two weeks, every two Saturday, every other Saturday, and we would absolutely love to have you join us. And that episode, if you do want to listen to it, is 88.9. It's a bonus show. Um, basically, the first part of it, we talk about the adventures of Bobby and Lynn, and then we go into how the Twilight Talking Twilight Zone was founded. So, do you want to check that out? Okay. Well, I guess Lisa's not going to be able to get in. Well, I just want to thank everybody for being here, and I do want to see you guys in two weeks. And Lisa, please, I hope you can get in in two weeks to join us again. We would love to hear from you. I'm sorry you couldn't make it in tonight. But uh, we will be here. And what what is that date again, Robert? December 8th. 8th, December 8th for The Fugitive. Um, And we will be here then. And I want to wish everybody a happy weekend. And uh, let me just check one more time, make sure. Check the ratings, too, because some people gave some ratings. Uh, Bear Fan Raw gave 3.8. 3.8? Where the hell do you get 3.8? <laughs> well, if you give in to Dave on his, then you have oh, to Oh, no, but, but Dave gave him four. Well, what did you... Yeah, but Dave gave... Her, I, I, no, no, I, no. When Lynn offered me the Chianti and Fava beans, it went up to a five. I oh, said okay. five, yeah. Yeah, Dave, yeah. 3.8. What the hell is a 3.8? Fair <laughs> fan, I swear I'm going <laughs> to... What am I going to do with this guy? Anyway, all right. And Lisa, hey, he's a Chicago fan. Anybody that's a Chicago fan is not that bad. Oh, we'll let him slide this 3.8. Lord. <laughs> anyway, and Lisa said she will see us in two weeks. Lisa, please join us in two weeks. And she left, but I hope she will be here. And okay, everybody, have a terrific rest of your weekend. And we'll see you then. And love having you all here. And we're happy to be in Philadelphia. Okay? So see you in two weeks, babes. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. And with that, we'll go out with this. Bobby, Lynn, welcome to Philly. Thank you. His name is Sylvester Stallone. He's the star of a new film called Rocky. 
He's been described as tough, handsome, talented, sexy, sensitive, dynamic, brilliant. He's been compared to Nicholson, De Niro, and Brando, but he is Rocky. He's the man who could be loved by only one woman because somehow she gets beneath the pain. He's every nobody who ever needed somebody. Rocky, do you believe that America is the land of opportunity? Yeah. I'll break both your arms so they don't work for you. He's every man who ever settled for something less. What am I crying, Nick? At least you have pride. I ain't had no pride. I ain't had enough. How did get that? How did get that? Terrific. I mean, you're gonna be a heartbreak. You walk down the street breaking hearts the way you look. Very shot. He's the man who never had a chance until now. Rocky. His whole life was a million to one shot. His name is Sylvester Stallone, but you will always remember him as Rocky. Rocky.